optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, 大家好. This is Tim Ferriss and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it's my job to deconstruct world-class performers of all different types from business, entertainment, sports, anything you can imagine, really. My guest today is Mark Bell, at Mark Smelly Bell on Twitter, who is the founder of Super Training Gym, found in Sacramento, which is oftentimes referred to as the strongest gym in the West. Prior to opening his own gym, he spent years studying and training under the legendary Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. Mark is no stranger to the iron at all. His best geared lifts in competition include a 1,025-pound squat, that's 465 kilos, a, an 832-pound bench press, that's 377 kilos, and a 738-pound deadlift, that's 335 kilos. Mark is also the inventor of the patented slingshot, a device utilized to assist a lifter in maintaining proper bench press form while also allowing the lifter to use more weight or perform more reps. He now has an entire line of products and has been spectacularly successful. In this episode, we cover a lot, including his most important lessons for building strength, how to avoid injury and breakdown, the lesser known or some lesser known training techniques that nearly everyone overlooks, 
how he became a millionaire by offering his gym memberships for free, which in and of itself is just an incredible story, and much, much more. So we really dig into the audio. We recorded this at his gym, and while there, we took a full tour of his facility, looking at some crazy equipment and custom modded equipment that he has at the Super Training Gym in Sacramento. If you want to see that video, you can, and it is at tim.blog forward slash super training, all one word, tim.blog forward slash super training. And for links to everything in this episode, as usual, you can find the show notes at tim.blog forward slash podcast. So without further ado, please enjoy Mark Smelly Bell. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. I'm fired up to be here, man. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's been a while since I've hung out among the Goliaths here at Super Training Gym. This is my first time in the new location. I like I like the digs. I'm glad we got you, you know, finally to the new spot here. Uh, we're having a lot of fun here and it's uh you know, this is a kind of a dream come true. This is 10 years in the making. Super Training Gym's been around since 2006. And, uh, you know, I started off in uh, somebody else's gym. And then I had my own spot for a while where we were near a uh, Hmong funeral uh, home where they were sacrificing all kinds of animals and shit like that. That was really bizarre. Uh, but to come to this and, and have be able to offer the gym, the gym is free. Super training's free, and uh, it's just a dream come true to be able to share knowledge. And my mission and goal in life is to make the world a better place to lift. So, explain the, the business model. So, how did you decide? And how how does the that, fuck how does, does that work? How does it work? Yeah, no, no, honestly, like, how, what's how did you make that decision? You know, when I first did it, uh, one of my good friends asked me. He said, uh, he said, why, why are you making the gym free? Because the gym wasn't always free. The gym used to be 125 bucks a month. I just kind of made that value up out of uh, the four times a week that we get together and the amount of coaching that I was offering everybody. To me, it would have been valued a lot more than that. But power lifters typically don't have that kind of dough to shell out two, 300 bucks a month. So I made it 125. But when I switched it to be free, um, one of my good friends, he was like, why are you making the gym free? And I said to become rich and famous. <laughs> And from that moment on, that's when things started to really kick in and things started to really groove. Because th at that point, everything started to make a lot more sense to me. It was like uh, Neo in the Matrix. Everything just kind of started to come together. One by one, things started to, to unfold. My brother passed away kind of around that time. And it was just a message to me. It was very simple. Your life is short. I don't give two fucks about what other people think. I need to get myself heading in the right direction and I need to do the things that I want to do. And I need to follow through with the, my hopes and my dreams rather than be so fearful of stuff. Be, you know, a lot of people are fearful of kind of jumping in with two feet into stuff. And I was like, you know, what? I can't have that mentality anymore. It's just not going to work. It didn't work for my brother and it's not going to work for me. So I need to just forge forward and try to figure out a way to keep moving forward and to share the message I want to share and to do it my own way, do things my own way. So making the gym free was a byproduct of the slingshot um, being invented and the slingshot giving me the financial means to make the gym free. Um, but I knew that the gym being free was going to give me back uh, everything tenfold. And uh, aside from that, the, um, or in addition to that, rather, the slingshot was made inside the walls of Super Training Gym. So I can never really repay Super Training Gym uh, what it's done to me, uh, no matter no matter how we slice it. So the gym being free is uh, just my way of paying back to the powerlifting community. Did you make that decision in part because it was just consuming 
like 10% of your bandwidth having to keep track of membership payments and all the details that go along with that kind of profit and loss. And by freeing it up, it just made your focus on other things more pure. And what are the rules? Like, can anybody show up anytime they want? Or what's the commitment that you look for, if anything? I, I like some of the words you just said there. You mentioned the word pure. I'm not a like the humanitarian of the fucking decade or anything like that. It's it's nothing it's nothing corny or weird like that because financial gain is on the front of my mind. It's not in the back of my mind. It's on the front of my mind. That's I, you know, I'm a scoreboard driven person, you know, I'm trying to put points up on the scoreboard. And as an adult, how do you put points up on the scoreboard? You put points up on the scoreboard by, by making money, right? Dollars and cents we're talking about, right? And so that's, that's kind of the mission. That's kind of the goal. And so by making the gym free, it allowed, it gave me a testing ground for a lot of the products that I have. It really opened the doors for a lot of other financial gain that maybe when I first made the gym free, I didn't recognize uh, but once I made the gym free, it was, I kind of just started to think more in terms of, okay, like I literally own everything that's in here, including the people. Now I basically purchased the people in some weird way because they're no longer paying me for my services. I'm allowing them to train here for free with uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. That gym is so expensive uh, to go over each piece of equipment. Every barbell is specialized. Every plate is specialized. There's nothing in there is normal, especially the people. <laughs> nothing in there is normal. So everything's a little different in there. And because of that, it, it allowed me to kind of recognize that I have a, a place a real strong testing ground where I can test products. And also, I'm not a product company only. I'm 50% products and 50% media. Without media, social media, without YouTube, and without... The magazine. The magazine, Power Magazine, without all these different formats. I'm a subscriber. There you go. As you know. Yeah, and you know, without these different formats to get the message out there, then, then what am I? You know, So it's great to see that it's all working through the podcast and through other things trying to make the products popular, trying to make the gym popular, trying to make money, all those things are definitely uh, on the front of my mind. Um, you did mention uh, how does the gym work? The way the gym works is, is not that complicated, but what we do is uh, we do have an email address that's associated with the gym. Um, it's not plastered everywhere, but if you do find it, if you do work towards finding it, and you're able to communicate back and forth with us, then you're able to come here. So it's not that complicated. But we try not to advertise too much. The sign that you saw out front today doesn't say gym. We don't make it super simple to get here. And then once you get here, we sort of make it a little bit confusing on what's the next step. <laughs> you know, somebody's like, hey, I'm supposed to talk to Marcus. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I don't know what's going on either. They're like, well, don't that you That just own? happened like five minutes <laughs> yeah. ago. Like, and I was like, I don't know, Marcus. I'm just, a, I'm just a fly on the wall here. I have no idea. Yeah, they're like, they're like uh, well, don't you own the place? I'm like, yeah, sort of. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so we make it a little confusing. <laughs> Go lift purpose. some heavy stuff. We'll talk in a half hour. Yeah, and then, you know, when I see people in here working, like if you're not sweating, I'm not talking to you. There's just no point. We're not going to have... Unless it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're not going <laughs> to... intimidated by all the <laughs> mutants you have back there. That's right. There are some <laughs> mutants back there for sure. But if I'm not seeing that you're working... Uh, then, then there's there's no room for me to have conversation with you. I'm not going to help you out of nowhere and just start uh, giving you a bunch of advice unless I see that you're hungry for it. Yeah, and you have, I, I, I observed because we're effectively in your recording portion of the office at Super Training Gym, and someone came in, in earlier like HQ HQ to talk <laughs> about the schedule. So the schedule for the gym, can you lay out? the days of the week and what you do on them. 
so the gym schedule is um, we get together every Tuesday and Thursday during the week from about three until approximately seven. And then Saturday, Sunday is from nine until about one. In terms of like the training split, it's pretty simple. We do uh, lower body once a week. We do upper body once a week. Um, I'm sorry, we dead, we deadlift and squat once a week. So I guess it'd be lower body twice a week and upper body about once a week. Every Tuesday is deadlifts. Every Thursday is bench. And every Saturday is squats. <laughs> After a while, it starts to get kind of pre-programmed into your body and your body's kind of like, oh, today's a squat day. Today's, rather than it being Tuesday, it's deadlift day. You know, that's how meat heady we get around here. When you, when you start just instinctively exploding off of the toilet into, into like a, a, a <laughs> exploding a, on the toilet and well, into the toilet, then you know, you've had too much pre-workout stimulus, number one, and it's <laughs> right. squat day. That's right. So first of all, I want to recommend a couple of things. First is, and there's a poster here on the wall, two documentaries that I think offer a lot of insight into your background and your family and also your brother, because I don't know if we'll have time to, to really dig into the details, but Bigger, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which is how we originally met, I believe, yeah. because I saw the documentary. I was really impressed. So the tagline is, is it's still cheating if everyone is doing it, which is about performance enhancing <laughs> yeah. drugs. It's a great doc, which was made by your brother. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of in that classic status. You know? Oh yeah. It's, it's, and, and I liked it so much. Number one, I reached out to try to find you and realized, oh my God, you're in Northern California and right. then traveled to Sacramento to embarrass myself. I was like, who is this skinny guy? Who is what this, is this skinny guy, guy? He has a huge Why is this head? guy trying to throw kicks at me and stuff? What's going on here? <laughs> and then the other is uh, prescription thugs, right? Which is, uh, covers a lot of, uh, semi-related topics, but also goes very deep with your family. So those are just two things I want people to check out for further watching and resources that I would highly encourage checking out. The training split. Could you talk about Louis Simmons and West Side and what are some of the key lessons you learned? Yeah, I, I trained with Louis Simmons for about a year. Also worked with him and coached under him uh, for about an additional year beyond that. And for people who don't know him, could you just give them an overview? Yeah, Louis Simmons is the owner of the pretty much the strongest gym in the history of lifting. Um, he created a community that was so competitive and so strong that thousand pound uh, squats were routine, 800 pound benches were routine, and 800 pound deadlifts were very routine. Uh, keep in mind, this is back a few years when geared powerlifting was a little bit more acceptable. Now people have taken the powerlifting gear off. The powerlifting gear is very supportive and it adds additional pounds to what you can actually lift. And for those people who, who don't follow powerlifting, uh, gear in this particular case referring to multiply bench press shirts and deadlift suits and so Stuff on. Stuff that looks like a straight jacket type of deal. <laughs> that improves your leverage. Yeah, improves your leverage. But regardless of what people wore and didn't wear, um, at the time, that was the style of lifting that was popular. And Louis created the fastest, most explosive, strongest athletes in the game uh, without question. And he would have... Uh, what seemed like 10, 15 guys at a time that were just crushing world records in some different weight classes. And uh, year by year, you know, things would change a little bit in the gym and they'd get new guys in and he would still create, you know, monster after monster. It didn't matter. Just the only thing that would change in there was the names. The numbers would go up a little bit. Uh, the names in there would change a little bit, but it was still the same thing. Still him, you know, West Side Barbell kicking the crap out of everybody. Uh, Louis, um, was a pioneer in a way of uh, 
bands and chains being utilized in training. The bands and chains help to accommodate resistance. The weights are lighter to bottom and they're heavier to top. As your body becomes in a more advantageous position and more favorable position, uh, you're getting more weight on the bar as your body's in the least favorable position, such as the bottom of a bench press or the bottom of a squat, you have less chain weight or less resistance from the band. And so it, it gives you an opportunity for a lot of things. Number one, it, it help, can help you produce more force, which is great in any sport. Um, it can also uh, help you to uh, just be, be faster, be more dynamic. The other thing that it's going to do is it's going to allow you, it's going to help prevent injuries because, as I mentioned, when you're at the bottom of the lift, there's less weight on you. You have less overall weight on you. So, for example, if you were to bench press with some bands on the bar, at the bottom of the lift, if you had three plates on the bar like I was using today, it would be, you know, let's just say it's 50 pounds of bands total. At the bottom with 315, it'd be about 365 pounds at the bottom. And if it jumped up to 100 pounds extra, it'd be about 415 at the top. So as you can see, again, the weights are lighter at the bottom, heavier at the top. It allows for acceleration. You can accelerate through the weights and it allows for a kind of consistent tension on those weights. So Louie paired up speed training, dynamic effort training, as he calls it, with maximal effort training. So he basically attacked training from two different ways. And there's a third way I'll talk about in a second, but the main two ways that he attacked it from were from the perspective of if I can move faster, if I can become more explosive, I can move more weight because in some cases it just becomes a race against the clock. If you go to bench press uh, 300 pounds and it's going to take you 12 seconds, the odds of you making one rep last that long like that is probably probably not very good. Anybody out there that's listening to the show that can bench press even 300 pounds, take 200 pounds and try to try to go five seconds on the way down with a five second pause and five seconds on the way up. And you'll quickly realize that time management of those lifts is, is crucial. You want to get underneath the weight and get it the hell over with as quickly as possible. So the speed element and the speed aspect is crucial. Uh, the other way that he recognized, um, you know, uh, just gaining strength was to simply just get stronger, uh, work on handling more weights and trying to figure out different ways and different angles to handle more weights. Uh, he came up with a lot of new and creative and different ways of handling big weights so it wouldn't uh, kill your central nervous system and so it wouldn't kill your knees and kill your elbows and things of that nature because he started to use a lot of specialized barbells and specialized, uh, he would squat off of boxes back in the day and then he started squatting off of foam. Um, he even He's even put springs inside of barbells to to create a different effect. This one barbell in particular had a spring in the middle and it kind of looked like uh, the spring uh, inside the roll of toilet paper or something on a shake weight. But you would squeeze the barbell together. It was like on a regular bar, like for bench pressing, you'd squeeze the bar together and sure enough, it'd blow, the, blow your chest up. It would, it would crush you. So he had a lot of great innovative ways, but those were the two main ways he thought of to increase strength. One was uh, to to max out, to go as heavy as possible. Max effort day. Max effort day. And to choose different exercises each week. That's kind of the basis of the conjugate system. You might do a box squat one week. You might do a regular squat the next. Next week after that, you might squat with chains. The variety is both good and bad. Sometimes the variety got to be so large that you no longer knew what the hell you were doing anymore. And sometimes uh, the variety was a welcome change because you might be a seasoned lifter that is just so tired of doing the same shit over and over again that you can't even. The other, the other huge advantage of changing things up is 
in in a good way, you kind of don't know where you stand, which I think is kind of nice because being a competitive lifter and being a competitive athlete for so long, you can get really frustrated and you, and the ups and downs can be very, very, the downs for sure can be very, well, the ups too, they can all be very negative actually, because you don't want to have, you want to be kind of even keel as an athlete. You don't want the highs and lows to ever be too great because it can kind of throw you for a loop when something unexpected does happen. Uh, and the third way to uh, increase uh, strength is to have more muscle mass. So uh, Louis recognized uh, just hypertrophy, just some bodybuilding style training, the repetition effort method, as he would call it. Just simply, once you're done with some of the main movements, you would do uh, three sets of eight, four sets of eight, uh, five sets of 10, basically get in more work, more volume uh, with different exercises uh, that would allow you to help build muscle mass. So you get done with the main lift and the overall volume of the main lift may not be through the roof because there's only so much you can do with a barbell. You'd move into assistance exercises. That's where you'd get your volume in and that's where you'd build muscle. And if you look at a lot of these concepts, whether it's the bands or the chains, uh, box squats, uh, board, I don't know if the, I'm using yeah, the right board terminology, presses, yeah. board presses where you have, I guess, what are, what are they technically? They're two by fours? I think or so, yeah. Just sort of uh, put together different heights so you yep. can stop the bar from, in this case, the chest at, say, four yeah. inches, six partial inches. Partial range of motion. Partial yeah. range of motion have become very popular. Do you have a particular opinion about when people should incorporate versus not incorporate these things because you could go to i'm sure many different gyms where you have somebody who's bench pressing 45 pounds and they have like 17 different accessories for someone who is athletic but not a power lifter getting started focusing on these three lifts at what point would you introduce things like bands and chains and so on it's a great that's a great question you know first of all i think that a little bit of lifting, a little bit of training. What we're doing when we're going to the gym is is what I call artificial exercise. We're making shit up because we don't have to do the same tasks that we had to do hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We're, we're not carrying buckets of water and we're not digging ditches and we're not building stuff as much as we were in the past. And so you got to make shit up to, to get to be muscular, to even look manly. You got to like make stuff up to, to kind of make up some ground for the girly shit that men do nowadays. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. I mean, seriously, hanging out on a computer all day and all these different things were not really things that we were probably designed to do. But anyway, a long, longer story for another day, right? Kelly, start out in here and have some wine. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Let him go off on yeah. sitting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that uh, one of the uh, key components to uh, kind of all of this is that when you're a newer lifter that you just try to keep it simple. And even as you advance, um, anything seems too good to be true. It is. Uh, there's no tricks, unfortunately. Um, there are some things that can help. Uh, you use the term, and I, I love the term, accelerated learning. That is probably the only trick that there really is. Like find somebody who knows what they're doing and rub elbows with them and try to find other people that know what they're doing uh, because that will actually accelerate you to the top faster than you can imagine. Uh, much faster than finding like some secret fat burner or something like that. Finding people that know how to lose body fat, finding people that know how to build strength and getting around those people is going to be a crucial element. For newer lifters, I always just suggest, um, and even, even older lifters, again, uh, five, five exercises is about all that you need. You don't need to be in the gym for hours on end. If you feel good for the day and you want to do more exercises, then, then ride it out and go ahead and feel better and, and do it. Uh, but, 
a real crucial thing to your training, and this is something that has taken me a long time to learn. Your training should make you feel better and not make you feel worse. If you can kind of always keep that in mind, your training should make you feel better and not make you feel worse. Think about that the next time you have some stupid idea to do something. You're like, oh, I'm going to try to run 12 miles. And you haven't ran one mile in the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Ferriss knows exactly what I'm talking about. I because do. I, I do. I still follow his social media. And he's doing something crazy all the time. <laughs> yeah, we, can we, yeah, we both have spent, we specialize in, in certain types of, of gross indulgence. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you just want to be, you want to be careful. I mean, if you haven't sprinted in a long time, it's probably not a great idea to go do 10 sets of uh, 200s, uh, you know, out on a track somewhere you got to ease your way into stuff. You got to take your time. You got to build up towards something. Uh, and then once you build up towards something, you can start to add in more stuff. The bands and the chains and stuff are great. Anyone can use them. I, I never, I never want to tell a new person that they can't do something because um, why not let them enjoy themselves the same way or like let them have access to all the same stuff. Let them use a slingshot, let them use bands, let them use boards or whatever they want to do. Uh, but just kind of keep in mind, the basics are going to be the stuff that really gets you there. People from the 70s didn't have any problem gaining strength, and uh, it, it, they didn't need any special tools back then. It, it, they had less stuff than we do now. Well, and a lot of what Louis does is based on his reading of the Soviet research, yeah. as, as I understand it, which was yeah. from, I mean, certainly those previous decades. Yeah, Olympic weightlifting, yeah. And uh, just to, to underscore a couple of things, so the the speed or rather time being your enemy. I mean, I've heard this uh, from also Olympic lifting, right? Same story. It's like the less time you spend under the bar, the better. And uh, that was from a guy named Jersey Gregorek, who's a four-time world champion in Olympic weightlifting. The footnote that I placed in my head when you mentioned five exercises, what would, if you were picking five exercises for a novice or an intermediate, right? Like let's say somebody who hypothetically was an athlete, maybe a baseball player, I'm just making this up, soccer player in college, has a regular sort of uh, physical practice, but has not lifted per se, has never had any instruction, right. what would the five exercises be? This actually is very simple. Take the activity that you want to do and think about if you were to ask 100 people, if you, asked 100, if you got in front of 100 people and said, hey, what five exercises do you think would be good for a triathlete? Give or take, there's going to be a couple things in the gym that, that somebody might say one thing over another. But in general, there's going to be some sort of a press Maybe two pressing movements. Maybe you have, maybe one person's excited about inclined bench and maybe one person's excited about overhead. So you have two pressing movements. Maybe somebody in the room is a big fan of uh, doing squats. So you have a squat. Maybe somebody else rather see like a leg press. Maybe somebody else rather see like a deadlift. Go around the room and you're going to, you know, you can kind of narrow it down. Maybe you end up with 10 exercises total. You can probably agree upon about five exercises, right? Now, take those five exercises and start to think about how do I build up these exercises through other exercises? So, for the example, assi assistance exercises. Yeah. For example, uh, we, we have, you know, things like a, uh, an overhead press. What are some of the muscles involved in an overhead press? Uh, you don't have to be insanely intelligent to be able to grasp some of this. You know, what, just kind of think about what are some of the what are some of the muscles that you see flexing in the mirror when you do some of these movements? Your triceps are firing, right? Your shoulders are firing. So, 
Can a lateral raise help your overhead press? I would think so. It's going to help build up your shoulders, maybe help with stability. Would work in the back of your shoulder, help make the entire shoulder more stable so you can press more weight? Sure it will. Um, Triceps are involved heavily. So you start to break things down in that sense, and things start to become very, very simple, and they become a lot less complicated when you think about... That's one of the things I really loved about the West Side Barbell approach is... Um, that's kind of where I started to really see that kind of stuff. And, and my eyes became very open to the fact that you can kind of narrow everything down by what is going to help me get to that? What is going to help make me better in a particular sport? So if you're grappling, maybe you want, you know, maybe you want more hips. So maybe you're going to squat a little bit more. Maybe you're going to do more sumo deadlifts. Uh, maybe you're going to do more med ball throws. Maybe you're going to do some more athletic stuff, maybe some twisting of some kind. You're going to kind of think of a few exercises that you want to do on a regular basis. And you want to try to figure out a way to overload those exercises and ways to become more efficient in those exercises. And so from that standpoint, it gets to be uh, very simple. You kind of think about just even building the muscles rather than thinking about, I always hate the term like functional because I, I, I don't understand what a non-functional movement would be. Um, the human body, uh, you know, you see some people that are gifted at like dancing or figure skating or gymnastics or any, I mean, the human body can do all kinds of crazy stuff. So, uh, show me an unfunctional movement. You know, I, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means, um, versus a functional movement. I, I mean, I get the basis of it, but, um, anyway, the point is, is, is we're, we're made to move and we're made to, we're made to move through these ranges of motion with these given exercises and just trying to associate them with what is going to make those exercises improve to get stronger is going to be probably the most functional and easiest way to get through these workouts. So if we look at, say, three primary exercises, if we're looking at the bench press, the squat, so let's, we, I mean, we could make it specific and say it's kind of a low bar, wider squat, maybe, for powerlifting, and then uh, deadlift, and you could, you could pick conventional or sumo, whichever you want to talk about. What would be uh, some lesser known assistance exercises that you found valuable for each of those? Um, when it comes to uh, both the deadlift and the squat, and not that it's lesser known necessarily because some coaches really understand the value of it. I love single leg stuff. Whenever you have an opportunity to do something standing or whether, and anytime you have the opportunity to do something uh, with one leg or one arm, I think you're, you're better off. So, but not, not because, the main barbell movements are great. We do so many of them already. That's kind of the beauty of doing these uh, single leg or unilateral exercises. So think about lunges, think about step ups, um, anything like that is going to be, give you a different stimulus. And it's also going to kind of take you through a range of motion. That's going to um, kind of dynamically stretch the opposite hip and stretch the opposite leg. Um, and it's going to create a lot of motion. A lot of times when we're lifting, we're not really moving around a whole lot, especially when it comes to the bench or comes to the squat or even comes to the deadlift. There's just not enough um, motion going on with those movements. So my favorites for deadlift, um, aside from the unilateral stuff, my favorite stuff for, for uh, deadlifting is simply uh, partial range of motion deadlifts, which it would be... Uh, you can deadlift off of some blocks or deadlift out of a rack, and that can help build up the lower back, help build up the upper back, and therefore help with your overall deadlifting performance. Uh, one thing that people don't sometimes realize is that 
when you do a partial range of motion deadlift, because it builds up your lower back, it can build up your speed off the floor. So sometimes I think people think, oh, I'll do a deficit deadlift, which would be you increasing the range of motion in a deadlift. By standing on top of a block or something. Yeah, exactly. By, yeah, by standing on something or maybe instead of using 45-pound plates, maybe you only use your 35-pound plates or something smaller than a 45-pound plate in circumference. So those are, you know, there's a lot of options when it comes to like, how do I figure out how to get faster off the floor? But anybody I've ever worked with, they've gotten faster off the floor from getting stronger and from handling more weight rather than handling less weight, which sometimes the deficit pull can actually make you handle less weight. So whenever you can kind of find something that's going to allow you to handle more weight, but still, I don't want to say safe <laughs> because, uh, None of this stuff is all that safe. Once you once you start really get, getting after it, it can be can be dangerous. I don't want to sell people on a, a bag of goods that's not true. But once you start to handle some uh, big weights, and anytime you have an opportunity to do something uh, safely and effectively, you might as well go for it. And uh, in the case of say bench press, what are some movements as assistance exercises or warm ups that uh, that you've consistently used that might not be obvious to just a recreational lifter? Bench press, I'll tell, talk about assistance movements first. Uh, obviously, I'm the inventor of the slingshot, so I'm always going to back that thing up. But the slingshot is not valuable for the reasons that people think it's valuable for. A lot of times, people want to just handle more weight with it. They just want to load up a ton of weight. And it can be used for that. It can be used for that very effectively. Um, but here in my gym, what we do is we use it for more reps and more sets. So once we're done with kind of our main lift for the day, I want to also say we don't exclusively just use a slingshot all the time. We do a lot of work without the slingshot on. The slingshot makes up uh, 20 or 30% of our overall bench pressing. Uh, however, if we're hurt, it'll make up about half of what we do. Um, so we'll go through a normal workout. Anybody out there listening that's, uh, you know, likes to do certain styles of training, go ahead and do whatever that style is, five sets to five or three sets of three. Once you're done with that, throw a slingshot on and do three extra sets, three to four extra sets Add about 20 pounds per set or add weight as needed. Each person is going to be a little bit different and just follow through with the same exact reps that you did uh, with your raw work. So, you know, just a sample workout. If I did three sets of three with uh, 275, I would then put on 295 for three with the slingshot on 315 with the slingshot on for another set of three. And then I'd finish with 335 for another set of three. All three of those sets are sets I would normally would have never been able to do without being able to throw the slingshot on. The slingshot's going to give you, it's going to allow you to handle more weight. It's going to allow you to do more reps, more sets, handle more overall volume in your training. And the method that's referred to when you talk about slingshot or reverse band training is called the future method. You're getting your body ready for heavier weights that it's going to be able to handle in the future. And for people who aren't familiar, and please correct me if, if this description doesn't do it justice, but the slingshot in this particular use case, because you can you can use different types of slingshots for different purposes, right? On right. the legs and otherwise. In this case, if people can imagine you lifting up your arms out in front of you like Frankenstein, like, a, like Frankenstein and then if you were to take, take a uh, thick but, uh, but elastic fabric uh, and I'm no, not doing justice, and wrap around... Your, like a knee wrap, yeah. Like a knee wrap around your upper arms. Right. And then lower a bar to your chest, though that fabric, that material would make contact with your chest in the lowest portion, the weakest range of motion. Right. And help you to accommodate that larger weight. And I, it goes without saying, but 
knowing the internet, I'm going to say it anyway. You guys have very good spotters here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not just walking into your garage and right. slapping on more than your max. Yeah. yeah one, yeah. you know, one rep capacity and then right. hoping for the best. Right. Uh, yeah. If you want, if you want to see cautionary tales on that, you should just look up ben- bench press accidents. <laughs> bench on, press fail. <laughs> bench press fail on YouTube to give yourself nightmares. The what about back work? Is there any particular type of back work that is helpful or important to? The bench press and and I personally number one not terribly good at the bench press uh, it's not part of my regular regimen right now with focus on gymnastics but a lot of people are very interested in it uh, I saw you doing for instance when we came in band poles of some right. type mm-hmm. so I'd love for you to talk about maybe some warm-ups that you use for right. it and uh, secondly just as a as a note for people who are wondering when we came in you were just I think in the process of getting warmed up and I said, uh, well, when, when do you want to pick up doing the podcast? And you're like, well, I'm going to do, start doing my workout and getting into it probably 35 minutes. Right. So it's not like you're in the gym for four or five hours. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but uh, could you talk about the, the warm-up and yeah. back work that's, that's helpful? Uh, just before we move on to some of the back stuff, I just want to give you a couple exercises without the slingshot because I hate to be that guy that's overselling something. Close grip bench press, very simple. Go, go with a closer grip than what you're used to. Don't go with such a close grip that it crushes your elbows and it hurts really bad. Whenever you're in pain, you're probably doing something wrong or there's something from a long time ago that's bothering you. There's uh, other options. So there's other ways of doing it, but simply just go closer than whatever your normal grip is. If you find that you're very strong with the close grip, then try to go with a wider grip. And again, don't go out so wide that you're feeling all this pain in your shoulders and stuff. Uh, Pain is a great indicator of like something ain't right. It's kind of like... It's kind of like uh, if you pulled food out of your fridge from a few days ago and you, and you heated it up and stuff and you went to eat it and it smells really bad and you decide just to eat it anyway, well, you might, there's, uh, you might get sick, right? You might continue to do more damage. You might get hurt if you have pain while you're doing some of these, some of these movements. So if something's not, something feels weird, it's weird for a reason and you'll have to try to find something different to do. Another thing that can help the bench press tremendously, and it's the easiest thing to do, is to do pause work. Take weights, pause them on your chest, uh, count for, you know, three Mississippis or so. You get, get a good three-second count in there and then press. Uh, when you press the weight back up, make sure you're not sinking the weight back into your body more. Make sure you're staying tight the entire time. Um, you're trying to stay so connected to the bar that you're kind of zeroing the weight out, but you're not zeroing the weight out by resting it on your body. You're just creating so much tension and so much tightness uh, that you're literally just kind of holding the bar, uh, just just barely touching your T-shirt. Um, that'll build up a tremendous amount of strength, and it will help a ton with your form. Um, I call it idiot-proofing the bench press because sometimes you get some people that get excited and they want to move really fast and explosively and show you how strong they are. And they start going all haywire, the left arm's going, the right arm's Using their ribcage as a trampoline. Yeah, yeah, they're going just buck wild, right? Which is cool. It's great to, uh, it's great to be motivated. But, you know, try, try doing some pause work. You'd be surprised at how much it can really help your bench press. Uh, moving into some back movements, uh, the movement that you saw that I was doing here is very simple. We just had some bands attached to a, a machine. Anything stationary that's bolted down, or anything that's heavy in the gym that that won't uh, that won't come shooting back at you when you when you put a band around it, would be a good a good thing to uh, use. Something you could do in your garage very easily as well. You can do it at home again, making sure that whatever it is you hook it to is very secure. All I was doing is just you know pulling the bands towards me, and you're pulling them sort of towards eye level. 
Yeah, you know, I there's no wrong or right way to do it. You just pull wherever you want to pull to. Uh, we <laughs> we have a very scientific thing in here that we talk about quite often. Uh, somebody says, "Hey, Mark, you know how many reps should I do?" I always tell them some for a few. <laughs> you know, or the old Muhammad Ali, uh, RIP, uh, the old Muhammad Ali saying of, uh, you know, how many reps did you do when you did sit-ups? And he said, I only count, I only counted reps uh, once they started to hurt. Those are the only reps that count. No pain, no gain, right? There's really no wrong or right way to, to, to do this. Uh, all you're trying to do is you're just trying to get the upper back kind of warmed up. And uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull and I'll hold for five seconds, try to hold my... Um, I'll try to keep my my the positioning of my rib cage upward, and uh, I'll pull really hard uh, with pull my arms back behind my body as far as I can, which is not very good for me because my range of motion isn't is really crappy. Uh, but then from there, I'll walk away from the rack, and what that does is it put puts more tension on the bands, and then from there, I'll just move my elbows up and I'll move my and elbows your arms down. are bent. My arms are bent, right? So you're simulating in in a way the bench press position. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and it's like a standing row or whatever you want to call it, standing bench or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, what that does is it's kind of activating my lats. It's getting my back kind of ready to go. And I'll continue to kind of move my arms around in different positions. Sometimes I'll find something that feels a little awkward. It doesn't feel right. And so I'll hang out and I'll move around in that position longer. Or I'll say, oh, shit, that's a little bit weird. Maybe I should uh, get on a foam roller. Maybe I should figure out what is that back there? What's going on in that spot? You know, something I didn't I maybe didn't notice. And maybe I didn't notice I slightly tweaked something at some other point in my training. The warm up is an evaluation of how you're doing for the day. And so that's like that's a diagnostic tool, right? A hundred percent. And it's actually a- since since I saw you uh at the previous location and uh saw you doing sort of face I what would you call them? I guess face pulls, mm-hmm. but you were using cables and you're also using bands, and I started doing that and I still do that. Yeah even at the beginning of my gymnastics routines and I have a, a stall bar you don't need to get one of these necessarily. They're a real pain in the ass to install. It's like a gigantic ladder on the wall. It's a real pain. A non-stall bar. And, <laughs> uh, but I will do the, the work with bands and whatnot, like you said, to diagnose if there is an issue right. before I put a lot of load on it. And then I'm like, oh, my left infraspinatus is really grumpy today therefore right. i'm going to lay down and like put a lacrosse ball underneath it and then do internal external rotation until it calms the fuck down so i don't right. blow it apart when i try to do something on the rings yeah and it, it it just uh it's also possible it's just not in the cards for that day to, to do anything all that spectacular you start to move around and you're like man i don't know what's going on and maybe something happened at home that you're pretty upset about maybe you're not feeling good and yada yada and all of a sudden you're kind of got this downward spiral of things that are kind of against you for the day and maybe it's not in the cards for you to lift all that heavy for for that particular day the other thing i do is i just turn back around the other way with the bands so i'll just turn facing away from the bands uh the setup you saw that i had i have two bands i have one band choked around the rack and then i have another band going through the other band uh so i so i have two basically handles for the bands where i can press and pull and do whatever so i'll turn the opposite way and i'll bench press uh with the bands i'll let the bands go way up over my head and I'll let them pull on my my arms, pull my arms back behind my body. I'll let the band sit into my hands, which will pull uh, my wrist and will help stretch my forearms. I have extremely tight forearms and elbows and just I got different stuff pulling on different things and in a bunch of different directions. Um, one of my favorite warm ups, um, I don't do a ton of warm ups for 
uh, squatting, but for whatever reason, I need a lot of, I, I just basically come in and start squatting a lot of times. Uh, I will sometimes use my hip circle to warm up for a few minutes. Hip circles like fire hydrant type stuff on the ground or? A uh, hip circle is a product that I have from how much bench. Ah, there we go. Throw it up over your knees and you just start walking with it. You can use a band as well. Some right. people will take a band, they'll make a circle out of a band and they'll walk forward right. and sideways right. and back. Like the monster walks or whatever. X exactly. Yeah. Just trying to just trying to walk around, move around, get the hips ready, get everything fired up before you start your workout. Uh, you're kind of asking your body a lot is the main thing to kind of re- recognize that if you were working all day and now you're just going to come into the gym and you just think you're going to perform great without really warming up, uh, you got another thing coming usually. So you want to you want to do something that's realistic for you to do the second you get out of your car. Uh, you can hop on an Aerodyne bike or some sort of some sort of stationary bike. There's a lot of different things you can do. You get on a treadmill. You can even go for a walk before you go to the gym or walk to the gym or ride your bike to the gym. There's a lot of different options you can do, but you want your body temperature to be up. Uh, my favorite thing to do, though, in the gym is a, uh, which I can show you in a little while, is uh, a bench press where you just take the barbell and you just move the barbell around in a bunch of funky different positions. So let's say you have one uh, pinky, pinky, pinky on one of the power rings of the bar. You take your other hand and you put it um, as close as you can, um, I guess, right where the knurling is about to end. On the inside. On the inside, right. So you have one hand out really wide, basically, and one hand's in a lot closer. Take the weight down and let the weight push your shoulder down in position. You can even actually have a little bit of barbell weight on here if you're really stuck together the way I am sometimes. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the shoulder to drop back down in position and to, to open up. And you're trying to get the barbell to touch your rib cage. So you're doing some internal rotation with that. Doing a lot of very intense internal rotation. And what you'll what it end up looking like is it end up looking like you're doing like some sort of weird Funky uh, chicken dance. paddling like row type oh, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. with with a um, with a barbell. So one one side of the barbell is down, it's almost hitting the ground. The other side of the barbell is is in full locked out position to where it's almost up over the rack. This ends up looking oh, very uh, very strange. But we do that warm up in here pretty much all the time. And we'll take some video of that, guys, and put it in the show notes at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast. So that'll be in the show notes also. We will also just take the bar and hold it in position and we'll like typewriter it back and forth. That's just made up that term. That was pretty good, huh? But basically just kind of like you're moving it back and forth sideways. Yeah, just moving it back and forth sideways. Just anything to get those shoulders to open up. But when I when I show you, especially how tight I am after bench pressing, uh, you're going to laugh because the barbell is going to be several inches from my chest or stomach or wherever I bring the bar down to. Uh, But after I start to move like that, the bar will cleanly touch my body. Without any problems. <laughs> well, I'll laugh at your mobility and you can laugh at my strength. That seems to go. be the only way this is going to continue our developing our relationship. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, actually, one question before I do. And this is a question from from Twitter, which is actually posted by Nassim Nicholas Tal- uh, Taleb, N.N. Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan and Fooled by Randomness. Two great books. Really? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the max deadlift for a non-competitive uh, flaneur, I mean, that is just a non-competitive lifter like himself, adjusted by age group, that would be considered decent. So let's just say you have a 40-year-old guy, non-athlete, recreational lifter. What would you consider? Uh, I'm just going to make up some numbers. So 180 pounds. Right. 
maybe 15% body fat. You know, get going towards a, mul- a multiple body weight uh, deadlift is, is a great place to start. So, you know, in this case, the guy weighed, what, 180? Yeah, let's just say 180. So, so yeah, like a, a 360 or a 405 deadlift would be really, uh, you know, getting like four plates on there would be a, would be an awesome goal. I think, you know, a lot of times uh, people think because I power lift, they sometimes will tell me, oh, you know, I don't lift like you, man. And I'll say, oh, no, what do you lift, you know? And then they'll say, oh, you know, my best bench is like, it's only like 225. And, you know, I deadlifted like 350. And I'm I'm the first person to be like, well, well, what did you do when you started? And they'll say, well, when I first started, like, I think I benched 95 pounds. And then I'll be like, well, th- what you're doing now is fucking awesome. What are you talking about? Why are you beating yourself up so bad for, you know, in, in the sport of power of thing, the commitment to uh, gaining size and the commitment to the nutrition and the commitment to sleeping and the commitment to even performance enhancing drugs. Like, there's just so many levels of commitment uh, that, competitive power lifters take that your average person doesn't care to go there. So the fact that they can lift 200, 300, 400 is still really impressive. Really what we're trying to do uh, as power lifters, and sometimes we get very carried away with it, just as you can with any other sport, we just end up taking it to that next level. And uh, we're trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. We're trying to, it's just about self-improvement. However, uh, our definition of success, and our def- definition of self-improvement gets to be really swayed after a while because we're really trying to push the envelope. And if you guys want to see examples of that, you can watch the, uh, the Bigger, Stronger, Faster with footage of some of the West Side lifters, including yourself, where you have guys with like blood shooting out of their noses at the bottom of competitive squats yeah. and whatnot. Uh, it's, yeah, there's some people like who would desire to do that, you know, and there's other people like, fuck, yeah, man, that's great. I love that. You know, <laughs> so you had you had a period of time when you were doing pro wrestling and that right. was a real focus for you. I want to talk about a video that I saw. Oh, we're just going to talk about I want to I want to get into a couple of stories. So there were a bunch of things that popped up on social media when I when I mentioned that you were going to be on the show. And I asked people what I should ask you about. And, and uh, we're not going to go directly to this. This is going to be step two. First, I want to ask you about the fuck your elbow piece. We're going to get to that. But then there were all these questions or requests to ask you about poop stories. And I don't know what the context is there. Maybe you have some background that I don't. But can you, can you explain for people the background on the fuck your elbow shenanigans what ha- what happened there and how does it tie into professional wrestling yeah so uh i did professional wrestling for about five years my oldest brother mad dog mike bell he passed away uh several years ago now um but he was big into wrestling and me and my brothers as kids loved pro wrestling uh i was asked one day randomly by a guy at gold's gym if i ever thought about pro wrestling and i said i think about it all the time i watch it all the time i love it and he's like well how would you like to try out for some wrestling and i was like okay sounds cool to me i'll give it a shot you know long story short i ended up doing pro wrestling for about five years i progressed pretty well i ended up wrestling in the wwe kind of training grounds which was in louisville kentucky just uh kind of ran out of uh Ran out of juice there in terms of my desire to continue to do it. I had a kid at the time, and my son Jake, who's now 12, so it was a while back. Um, but, you know, at the time, you know, I was pretty hungry to do it. And once I had my kid and stuff, and I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. Because now, if I was assigned with, you know, if I did something with wrestling, I'd be traveling all the time. And it just wouldn't create a great family environment. So, 
anyway, that ended, but I learned a lot from pro wrestling. I learned how to do wrestling promos. You know, they'd put you on the spot and they'd say, hey, you're wrestling Tim Ferriss July 31st. You got 30 seconds. Smelly, go ahead, you know? And so then I would go and I would say, Smelly is my nickname my two older brothers gave me. So that was the name I used when I was wrestling as well. But they 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 do all kinds of things like that. They they'd swerve you and they throw things at you. You'd have to improvise. Yeah, they'd improvise. They'd even say like, you know, hey, uh, you're going to do an ad for this uh, bar of soap. You know, you got to. And then so I'd be like, oh well, you know, uh, I'm not smelling anymore after using this bar of soap or something silly. You just had to go through it, right? Because there's like 50 other wrestlers watching you too, and so. Yeah, uh, you know, it, you felt like an idiot, but after a while, you start to have fun with it, and you become more comfortable with it, and you started to really learn. I have many haters on the internet, as I'm sure you have acquired a few yourself. Oh yes, it's the tax you pay for being on the and, and, on the and, internet. And for some reason, it's our singular focus. Rather than the people that love us tell us what a great job we do, and how inspiring we are, we always focus on the negative. Right? That's just the way it goes. So anyway, this guy was. You know, he said, I can't believe, you know, you tell people uh, not to worry about their central nervous system and that they're using that as an excuse to not train and this and that. And just at the time, stuff about the nervous system kept popping up over and over again. And I was just getting tired of, of hearing people use these excuses about how they need to like auto regulate their training and they need they need special programming and all this shit. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to cut a wrestling promo on this guy. I'm just going to give it to him straight. And so. I went on to kind of say, you know what, here's the truth. We, we're all going to die one day. We're all going to be in a lot of pain. We're all heading there. It's inevitable. Death is a part of life. And was thinking of that and knowing that, the time that you spend on this earth, you might as well live it as a fucking savage and train and do whatever the fuck you want. And so when I said fuck you and fuck your elbow, I meant it. Fuck you and fuck your elbow. And so once so he, was that, he was complaining about his elbow as well, or or yeah, how? yeah. Once so once that um because I think in the video that I talked shit about the central nervous system or something, I said, well maybe you're using an excuse because your elbow hurts or something. Well I say fuck your elbow, just go in there and train. Don't don't worry about you know. Uh, you know, what do they say? A, a violent attack today is better than a well-planned attack tomorrow. That's kind of the mindset is like, just, just go get the fucking work done. I don't care about the complaints. I don't care about your fucking excuses. It's kind of like, you know, you want certain work to be done. You have certain jobs that, that you want to be done uh, from your camera crew that's right here. You don't want to hear them saying that their lower back hurts or whatever. There's just job. There's just fucking work to do, right? There's stuff to, to get done. You don't care. Uh, obviously you do care if they're, if they don't feel good. Right. But at the same time, there's shit to get done. And so that's just the way I kind of view that. And uh, the old wrestler in me kind of popped out for that moment and, and attacked that guy. So, so you've done a couple of wrestling promos, right. That have traveled pretty well as yeah. a result on the, on the interwebs. Yeah. A more recent one was, uh, with, uh, well, I, I don't even know if he's a, a long-term friend anymore, but I don't know what happened, but, uh, it's with, uh, Mike O'Hearn, you know, who Michael Hearn I know is. who he is. Yeah. Could you, well, maybe you could tell people who do not know who he is. Yeah. So Mike O'Hearn is a, uh, has been on the cover of 500 magazines or so, according to himself, of course. I don't know if there's any real data to back that up, but uh, Michael Hearn has been on the cover of about 500 magazines. Uh, he's a fitness model. He's been around for... 25 plus years or so he's always been in great shape he's probably 6'2 or 6'3 he's probably 250 260 he's always claimed to be natural and so he when he natural used to, meaning drug free natural meaning drug meaning drug free and 
before the internet came around, when he would say drug free and stuff, everyone was just like, oh yeah, no one, no one really cared. As the internet progressed and as YouTube became popular, you saw a lot of these drug tested lifters and a lot of drug free uh, natural bodybuilders become insanely popular to the point where they have 300, 400, 500, 800,000 followers. And those people started saying, you know what? Some of these people are full of shit saying they're natural. What is, who is this guy over here? And who's that guy over there? And so that's kind of the stuff that's happened with uh, Michael Hearn all the way to the point where they, they, they gave him a new name. His name is now Michael Trend. <laughs> for, for Trembolone? For Trembolone. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> Trembolone is an an androgenic anabolic steroid that is uh, particularly, yeah, particularly popular among power. Uh, Use say, the I'm, code Tim Ferris <laughs> for thirty percent off your next ten order from China. <laughs> Quality not guaranteed. I'm kidding, folks. I don't know, but uh, so Trembolone people used to take uh, tablets that were used to inject into cows, yeah, right, and right. then reconstitute or basically. Right. Not that I would know anything about that, but. Uh, Continue. So, yeah. So anyway, trend. Uh, Mike has been a friend of mine for a long time. We used to train together. Um, we used to power up together. Um, and so he made a video, very short, kind of lameish video on Instagram where he called me out and he said, um, I, I didn't really mind it too much. I mean, it's still, it doesn't really bug me much, but the one thing that I didn't like is he said he's coming after my numbers. And so I was like, you know what? Like just your, your, your PRs. Yeah. Just to, numbers. just to protect powerlifting and to protect the sport. Like, I'm not going to tell him I'm going to go up and uh, do a pose down with him in my underwear. I'm, that's not, that's not what I'm good at. That's not what I know how to do. He's won a lot of competitions. He'd whoop my ass in that. So, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do. I asked my brother and asked a couple other people, like, should I do like a wrestling promo on him? And they're like, oh, fuck yeah, that'll be funny. And so I did a, a whole promo. You can kind of watch, you can watch it on my YouTube, youtube.com backslash supertraining06, uh, where I said, Mike O'Tren, you're no longer my friend or something like that is the, the title of it. You guys will get a kick out of it. It was all for fun. And uh, anyway, Mike retracted like whatever he put up. I haven't talked to him since then, so I don't really know. I don't really know where his mind is at with that. But uh, I got him with a couple good hard hitting uh, things on there. <laughs> what have you learned from some of the lifters you've interacted with, like uh, Ed Cohn, for instance? I mean, the man, the myth. Yeah. Not really the myth. The man, the legend. I mean. Almost mythological, though. Almost, how strong uh, he of, is. of mythological proportions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are, uh, there was a book by Marty Gallagher that, uh, that I got covered. it right here. Oh, you do. It's a great book. It's right this here. Is, this is hard to find. It's uh, a Bible. It's oh, my Bible. So good. There it is. Okay. So this, yeah, <laughs> Cone, the man, the myth, the method, the lifetimes and training of the greatest powerlifter of all time written by Marty Gallagher. This is a fucking great book. It's unbelievable. It's so, so good. It documents his, uh, all his different contests and stuff like that. It's, it's unbelievable. So. Can you give people a, just a little bit of background on Ed and why people yeah, okay. revere so, him so much? Yeah. And then Ed Cohn is the greatest powerlifter of all time. He's regarded as the greatest powerlifter of all time because he competed in the 220-pound weight class. There's um, a lot of different weight classes in powerlifting. Uh, but from Ed Cohn's standpoint, competing at 220 and 242, there's also the 275-pound weight class. There's a 308 weight class, and then there's super heavies, which, you know, the super heavyweights are guys that weigh over 308, some of them weighing 350 and stuff like that. Ed was so strong that he was able to topple 
Bill Kazmaier from back in the day. Kazmaier told a little bit over 2,400 pounds, and Ed was able to surpass him. It was kind of a lifelong journey for him. I think it was like 1991 or so was around the time that he did it. He also, the the style that he did it, the way that he did stuff was always super impressive. And Bill Kazmaier, for people who don't know, number one, they might recognize the name from World's Strongest Man competitions. Uh, just a beast. Oh, Bill Kazmaier was a savage. There's no question. I mean, the way the guy was built was extremely impressive. He was he was very lean for how heavy he was. Um, but you know, when, when it comes to American strongman competitors, he's a, he's a legend. There's no doubt about it. Uh, even just in the history of strongman period, American or otherwise, he's a legend. So I, I interrupted you though. You're saying his uh, you're talking about Cone and his his method or his technique. It's not just uh, what Ed Cohn did, it's how he did it a lot of times as well. He's not a guy that cut corners. He's a guy that kind of used old school methods. He uses hard work. He's a tough bastard. He's a tough guy. And he's not going to let anything hinder, he's not going to let anything get in the way of him being the best. And so on his quest to uh, topple this all-time world record, um, you know, he, he would hit these huge squats. He'd hit a big bench press. And then a lot of times it would come down to the deadlift. Now, anybody who knows Ed Cohn, he's one of the greatest deadlifters of all time. He did a 901-pound sumo deadlift at one point uh, at 220 pounds, a record that still stands to this day. Mind, mind-boggling. He just had a belt on for that lift. Ed, Ed struggled a little bit in the bench press, though. So for him to try to beat Bill Ka- Bill Kazmaier, by the way, had the world record in the bench press for a long time. He benched 661 pounds, 300 kilos, which is just uh, just another mind-boggling feat. What gear or lack thereof at the time was... I don't think just Bill like, Kazmaier wore a bench shirt. I think just, like six, a sing- just like a singlet and a belt. I think the 661 bench press that Bill Kazmaier did, I could be wrong, but I think it was just in a t-shirt. Um, he, Bill Kazmaier also squatted like in the mid eights with a, with a single ply suit, which was basically like a, a, a ramped up singlet of some sort. It didn't do a whole lot for you. Some cheap knee wraps and they would just go at it, you know? And then Bill also was able to pull over 800 pounds. So Cohn had to make up a lot of ground in the squat and the deadlift, um, because he couldn't bench as much as Bill Kazmaier did. Um, but this one particular meet that he did down in Texas, it came down to the deadlift and Ed Cohn injured himself in training. He couldn't uh, he couldn't pull sumo, so he gets down to his last deadlift, and he's got to pull 887 pounds conventional. So sumo is wider stance, hands inside the legs. Conventional is kind of the opposite, right? Legs closer together, arms on the outside. Correct. And so there goes Ed Cohn. He goes up to the bar, and he 887 pounds, and just like the true professional that he was, rips the weight up off the ground, locks it out. And it's kind of the only time you'll ever see him celebrate. You can find that video on YouTube. It's really neat to kind of watch because he doesn't really celebrate. He's usually very stoic whenever he does a lift. So you can see him get really fired up. And um, just the passion the guy has, um, the one time, the time that he did come out here and the time that we spent with him here at Super Training, we shot some videos with him. We podcasted with him. And when he when he left that day, I told the rest of the guys in the gym, I'm like, well, that's it. Like, there's never this. That's it. That's that's the goat. That's the greatest of all time. There'll never be another Ed Cohn walking through the door. So, I was like, it's all just downhill from here with any other lifter that we get. <laughs> and everybody's laughing, but but everybody now understands why I said it because he's a great person uh, off the platform. He's a great he's a great person either way, you know. So he's he's somebody that I look up to. 
uh, in lifting and in life. He's a super awesome guy to be around. He's always very happy. He's always very energetic. He loves sharing information. He loves helping people. He's going to be the first guy. He's going to be the first guy to help you. He's also going to be the first guy to brag that he helped you, which I think is funny. <laughs> he brags to me all the time still to this day about how he helped this guy with that and he helped that guy with that. And he's so excited about it. And it's just great to see. Um, but something I learned, the main thing I learned from him, I guess two things. When it comes to lifting, what I learned from him is that he likes to just do one set because he built up so, he acquired so much strength. Uh, that he really only needed the stimulus from like one main set, one main work set, one main working set. But he, he would have warm ups, of course, of course, and, and uh, warm ups. Whatever, I don't even know what you would even call them because it's <laughs> seven hundred pounds, then it's seven hundred thirty pounds, then it's seven hundred sixty pounds, and then it's eight hundred pounds, and it just goes on forever and ever. <laughs> so, but. But yeah, their warm-ups, they're very easy for him to do. You know, they're 70% for him, 80%. For well, him. one thing that struck me reading this book way back in the day, I've had it for ages, is that his training regimen is actually very similar to the training regimen of uh, Dorian Yates when Yates was in his prime. I mean, the, the programming was very similar. Yeah, they're just, there's kind of one and done. You know, yeah, they get, yeah. They get that main lift in there. Uh, the other thing I learned from him, which is this is really hard to do. Uh, I would advise anybody to try to practice this. I challenge anybody to be able to actually be able to follow through with this because it's really hard to do. But this is uh, advice from Ed Cohn, the greatest power of all time. He said, um, be nice to those who are nice to you. And that's it. Don't do anything else. And I, I always taught, I always took that as like a challenge. That's really hard to do in life. You get somebody being mean or nasty to you. The only thing you can think of is like, how do I retaliate? How do I... How do I get this person's attention so I can get back to him? How do I get them to stop? How do I, you know, cut them off or I want to punch them in the face or whatever it might be. And, you know, that advice uh, from him to me was 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 critical and it came at a really good time. I was having some issues with a, a old member of the gym and stuff like that. And so it just kind of it kind of relieved me of that tension. I was like, you know what? He's absolutely right. Why don't I just, you know, why don't I just concentrate on what I'm doing, concentrate on the positive, great things I have going on and just... Be nice cool to the that. people who are nice to you and then ignore the rest. Ignore the rest. Are there any other lifters, for instance, uh, you've interviewed some some just phenomenal athletes. And of course, you have a ton of them here at the gym. But a few names that come to mind because they're just, like you put it, mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. Dmitry Klokov, Konstantin Konstantinov, so yeah. I'm getting the name right. Mm -hmm. yep. That guy, good Lord. Uh, I mean, yeah. there, there's a video you guys can see. What, what's the, what was it, 945, 985 with just a, just a belt? And no, it was no belt. Yeah, no belt. No yeah. belt. Uh, have, you, have you taken anything away from these guys? And Dmitry Klokov's just a absolute mutant of Olympic lifting. Uh, have you taken anything from those guys that you've tested or incorporated in your own training or otherwise? <laughs> um you know, sometimes when you look at some of these guys, you you, uh, you do have to recognize that there's just diff there's different species among us. You know, there's some people that are just different. There's, uh, you know, there's the guy in high school who's 6'4", who's really lean, who gets all the chicks, right? I mean, there's there's some people that you just sometimes can't keep up with, for lack of a better term. You, you don't know how to compete with them. And some of these guys are like that. Like, you're truly and honestly just not ever going to be able to compete with them at some of the stuff they do. We have a... Um, we had a lifter here for a long time, lifted with us. He was a PhD in mathematics, and he said, I think it was like second or third grade, they put some, some equations in front of him for 
multiplication and division. And they're like, we're going to be going over this the next month. And, you know, we're going to review this and you guys will know this like the back of your hand. And he was like, I already know all the answers, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's people that are just like that. There's people that walk in here. I just told you a story today about Encima, one of the lifters that we have in here. He did a 715 pound deadlift. I've been working my whole life. Double, double overhand grip, double overhand grip with no belt. Uh, it was a hook grip, you know, double overhand would be almost impossible with that kind of weight. I don't know if there's anybody that can do that. So but. hook grip, just for people listening who don't know, this is with the four fingers of your hand on top of the thumb, correct? Could not hurt any worse. Yeah, I can't. I, anyway, I mean, not it's, that I'm trying to be part of the conversation to feel like one of the boys, but I mean, obviously <laughs> I can't even, I can freaking hold the water bottle for you guys, but uh, so I've never been comfortable trying to hook. Oh, you know, it hurts like hell. Uh, so I guess my point is, is that sometimes some of these guys are on such another level. It's hard to really uh, learn much from them at all. I guess like Dmitry Klokov, <laughs> this is like going to sound ridiculous as saying it, but like one thing that he really preaches to other, other Olympic lifters is to get stronger. As funny as that may sound, um, I think that what he's referring to is like, hey, you know what? Stop worrying about like, you know, becoming more mobile and stop worrying so much about your technique and your form. And he's like, it's not all these different things. It's just that you're a pussy and you're not strong enough. So work on being stronger. A lot of things can be really solved through deadlifting and squatting. And so his point was, hey, you know what? Let's just get more weight on your back. You know, let's just get, let's get, have that be the focus rather than you spending 10 hours a day on your technique and the snatch or something like that. Well, you have a, you have a big mural in the gym that says <laughs> strength is never a weakness. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the guests I've had on the podcast, Pavel. Tsatsulin, uh, who popularized the kettlebell in the yeah, U.S., really, would also say strength first. Like that is sort of the foundational skill, and then you can build everything else on top of it. That's true. I would go so far as to say, with say Constantine, who is not from Latvia, <laughs> right? He doesn't he doesn't he get really yeah. he from Russia, but he lives in Latvia, and he's like, let's get something clear. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets yeah, he gets <laughs> he's all pretty pretty fired up. Yeah, yeah. The, the it was interesting in interviewing him. His the, the text that came back was like so like harsh. That when we started to edit on our end, I was like, oh, no, we need to leave some of that in there. I like how he's like, he's kind of like, he's kind of like a really blunt. And he was also kind of mean, too, towards Americans. Like, Americans are weak and Russians are strong and tough. And I was like, we're leaving that in there. I was like, that sounds that sounds great. I love this guy. It was a good interview. I mean, I read the whole thing and I, I actually underlined quite a lot. But what I, what I was going to say is that in some cases, it's it seems to me dangerous to emulate some of the habits of people who are in the top point zero zero one percent correct because they've already built such a a a foundation of strength training that they can then break the rules right so he actually he initiates a lot of his record breaking deadlifts with a rounded back right, right. but if you take someone who's just doing say two x body weight and they want to get to three times body weight and they're like oh now i should lift to the rounded right. back it's like well let's not put the cart before the horse yeah a great a great analogy for that would be you know you've done some mma type stuff you've done some martial arts and stuff like that imagine just learning a few weeks of, of martial arts and being like okay i want to i want to start doing some stuff like bones jones and and where you try that is in the ufc against another you know against a professional fighter when when you've had no experience with that so sometimes you got to just leave some of the things up to the pros and recognize that they're gonna look different when they do things Constantine Constantinov it appears that he lifts with a rounded back but 
is his back rounded or are his erectors so dense that when he goes to bend down, his spine just kind of looks that way. It's hard to really tell. I mean, the guy's so damn jacked. It's hard to really reference much of anything. The thing to learn from him, though, is uh, the explosiveness and the intent. Uh, he's, he's not out there to like, to, to win a balloon or a lollipop. You know, he's, he's trying to like break stuff. He's trying to be very violent with the weights. He's trying to rip the weight off the ground as fast and as explosively as he possibly can. Um, so that's something you could, that's a good take home message for people. And then also realize he built up his deadlift by utilizing, by doing a lot of repetitions. I remember in the, in the article, he said he used to do sets of 10 and 15 routinely. You don't see that that often in the deadlift. It uh, reminds me also, although, you know, Pavel and you know, Dan John, a lot of you guys would, 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 if they're looking at what they would call easy strength, they're probably doing fewer repetitions per set. But, you know, Pavel has said to, if you want to press a lot, you have to press a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To work on that, that skill and the technique of it. Yeah, you hang out in those skill. positions for the positions that you're bad in, hang out in those positions for a long time. Uh, as you've gotten older, what have you added to your regimen, if anything, to try to minimize the likelihood of injury or spinal issues? I know one fan of mine had mentioned, and I don't know if this is accurate, but that Ronnie Coleman's had a number of back surgeries. Oh man! Of yeah, course, no, uh, of course. To see. You know, Ed Cohn has had hip, yep. double hip replacements. Yeah. Right. How do you think about? addressing that as you get older because you're not just a powerlifter now right uh, i mean you're also an entrepreneur and you also have you have a lot of other projects and responsibilities how, how, how do you think about that <laughs> i don't <laughs> <laughs> you know i i can't be uh i can't be that worried about tomorrow uh if i'm gonna do the things that i that i really truly want to do now uh now it would be irresponsible not to think about it at all so there are some things that i added but uh when i say them you'll laugh because it just sounds silly to even say out loud but adding in more food has been a big part of it eating more food uh, eating more food yeah uh more fuel you know you're going to need more fuel for the tasks that, that you that you that you need to be able to complete um and, and that's not to say, like, that doesn't go along with getting older. Probably less food goes more along with getting older than anything else. But in order to, for me to be competitive, in order for me to stay strong, I'm going to need to add food into what I'm doing. So food is going to be a big part of it. And the sleep regimen is going to be a big part of it. As ridiculous as that sounds, Jesse Burdick and I laugh all the time. We wanted to start a website called RestWad. It's just all about, <laughs> all about snoozing, all about sleeping. <laughs> So I like hanging out with Jesse because he has as large a head as I do. Oh my god, he's got it, a hell of a cranium. Doesn't it's he? incredible. How would you? So Jesse he's got also those pockets like on the side. Oh yeah, it's great. It's kind of like a pit bull when you see a pit bull like chewing on something. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, what are those muscles? It's impressive. So, but Jesse is also. Uh, I mean, he can pull a lot of weight. Yeah, and this is a real athlete. How much can uh, be? Now, I my first real like hands-on interaction with Jesse was getting ART from Jesse. Oh now, no, I'm going to come back to that in a second. But like, what does what Jesse pull? Do you have any idea? Uh, his best deadlift in competition, I think, is 821, 821 pounds. He's a strong unit. Very strong. Thick-handed young man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I met him because I was having lower back and hip-related pain. So active release technique. For those people who are not familiar, uh, I'll try to give a very oversimplified definition and then just a short story on very Jesse. Painful. Oh my God. So the idea, the basic idea, and this is going to be super oversimplified, is that if you have tissues, let's just say that are, have developed scar tissue and adhesions in their adjacent tissues, that you can have someone effectively stick their fingers 
deep in between them and then have you go through different like gliding motions to tear it apart. I mean, this is yeah. roughly what it's like. Now, if you don't know where your psoas is, imagine uh, basically uh, a millimeter next to your your junk, your genitals, uh, either either gender, and it travels up kind of through the hip and attaches to the lower back. And so people who sit down a lot get very tight iliopsoas and hip yeah. flexors, and then they stand up and it pulls them the lower back. Ouch, ouch. And so I decided to go see Jesse Burdick at one point, and he, lay, he had me lay down on a table with kind of my legs dangling off, and he said, okay, safe word is brisket. That's how he started. <laughs> <laughs> and then this, how much does Jesse weigh? Two, I don't know. He's what? probably 280 or so. Yeah. 280. Yeah. Basically, imagine making like a ridge hand, like you're going to sort of Austin Powers judo chop someone. And he, I, it felt like he sticked his, stuck his hand kind of up to like the second knuckle into my groin and then move my leg around like a marionette. It was uh, it was a memorable day. I felt like I was, I don't know, it's like, I've welcome, had, welcome to Rikers. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I've had something similar done before, and for some reason, even though their hand is on your stomach, it feels like someone's fist is going up your ass. Yeah. Or, I don't know what that's about, but it's a weird feeling. You're like, what just happened? Yeah, or they're like my virginity. tickling your spine from the front. I mean, it's it's a very Yeah, you're like, experience. I don't know what's happening at this point. Usually you have to go to a funky club in the middle of nowhere at three in the morning with, with, with right. blue lights to get that well, I service need, but uh if Jesse you buy Burdick, jesse burdick flowers i mean he'll be willing to do it all the time for you <laughs> rest wad uh so what what uh what else so you have the other element the other element of the you know the staying healthy you know as you get older is is just to make sure that there's no stone unturned in your training and make sure you're not doing that stupid stuff uh, at the end of your workout that's going to compromise you know at the end of your workout you always have you got the angel and the devil on your shoulder and the angel's always telling you hey you should go home you should probably just rest you should you know take take today as a win buddy and just relax and you got the devil telling you no you should do another set you know you need to be more jacked and so uh when you have that uh that that sensation to want to do more stuff you probably shouldn't especially if you're already cooled down um there's there's other days to train there's other days to get the job done um and, and it's it's a long long process to get stronger it's a long process to be fit it's a long process to stay in shape so view it as that make sure you're getting in um Make sure you're hydrated. Uh, make sure you're sleeping well, and even if net, if need be, then take a nap. All these things are going to be crucial uh, in your in your journey towards succeeding at whatever it is that your goals are. And the the simple stuff. It's so funny how often, and I've I've found myself succumbing to this often. Is like you're not getting proper sleep, and yet you're going to obsess on like the minute details of some tiny variation of some exercise and it's like no you dumbass yeah. you just need to actually get your sleep or take a 20 minute nap yeah. or whatever it might be and uh the what you just said echoes true uh across a, a couple of different fields because for instance uh in uh surfing you know that that like just one more wave it's like always when people get hurt so <laughs> yeah. people like laird hamilton will say like never allowed to say that uh, and then you have uh, people like uh, Tim O'Neill, who's I think a six-time national champion in rally car racing, and it's like at the end of the day, four thirty, like the witching hour. That's when everybody fucks up and and, yeah. and drives into a tree or has some type of accidents. Like your mind's when, not connected to anything anymore. That's when you call it. And um, you know, Coach uh, Summer, the former national team gymnastics coach for men's gymnastics, has put it to me because I'm also inclined to push it too hard and uh particularly with connective tissue i get muscularly stronger quite quickly but then my connective tissue lags and i get injured and he said look if you 
if you you can always push harder the next training cycle or in the next workout but if you overdo it today you might be out for two or three weeks yeah and everyone's always trying to have all these crazy recovery methods and foam rolling and doing all these other things and all those things are great and they can they can really help a lot uh but if you just don't train like an idiot then you don't need it as much (laughs) (laughs) need less of it uh let's hit just a a couple of rapid fire question here and then we can can get back into the gym and we can demo some of these exercises uh, the, the first one is one of my most common questions. And that is when you hear the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind for you and why my pops, Your pops, my dad. Yeah. All five foot four of them. Uh, you know, I got a Bo Jackson, uh, rookie card sitting right here on this desk that we're at right now. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I probably would have viewed that as like success, but you know, what I've learned over the years is that, um, the success that we embrace as Americans and the success that we um, that people are judged by can actually be quite maddening to even ever reach. Um, and it's uh, not always all that att- obtainable. Uh, you want to think about success and you want to think about um, what it means to be successful. I don't know if people really truly think about what the, what the, what the term means to them. That's the most important thing. Like, what does it actually mean to you? If you think being successful is being in movies, then look at any issue of People magazine and see how many divorces and see how many problems a lot of these people have had that we would normally put up on a pedestal and say they're successful. They have all the same problems a lot of uh, regular people have, but they're amplified and uh, their their lives spin out of control very often through uh, alcohol and other all other kinds of problems. Uh, as kind of pointed out in Prescription Thugs, those, those types of things become very real uh, to the rich and famous. And so success to me um, is defined by the simple act of being good for a long period of time and doing the right thing over and over and over again. Um, you know, people want a fast way to success. People want a fast way to getting better, um, or self-improvement. Um, and people often talk times talk about like, you know, a steroid or this and that's going to get me here faster. Well, the ultimate pill that you could take is again, the act of doing the right thing as often as you possibly can. It's hard because we have a lot of self-doubt in our body. We have, we talk ourselves out of stuff every day. We have naysayers. We have people that tell us that we can't. So sometimes that sneaks in and they're like, oh yeah, you know what? They're probably right. I'm probably right. I probably can't do that. I probably shouldn't be doing that. And so to me, success is the ability to continually get a lot of stuff done, whatever it is your goals may be to continually make the right decision day in and day out. And it's the act of being good for a very, very long period of time because being successful and being great is not something that can happen uh, just in one particular day or one particular month. I've uh, talked before about Michael Jordan and talked before about Muhammad Ali. These are not people that were good on just a given day. They were good for a long period of time. They did the right thing for a long period of time, and that prepared them to be great when the time was right, and they stood the test of time. To me, that's the ultimate form of success, is to be able to stand the test of time. I remember as a kid, 
as I started getting more and more into girls and stuff like that, watching my dad and seeing him as an example, I remember a couple of times I'm like, there's no way that my dad is not going to look at this girl. It's impossible. There's no way this girl has too little clothes on for him to not turn his head and not look at this girl when she walks by. I don't care how in love with mommy is. It's just no way. There's no way it's not possible. My dad would never look. And to me, that's the definition of greatness. Somebody who's that disciplined and somebody who can make that sort of commitment. Uh, I, I would just add also that uh, one thing I've admired about what I've seen of your path, uh, and uh, we haven't hung out as much as as uh, as as I would like, but we uh, we have interacted a fair amount. And you, I think, one enviable aspect of what I've seen you do is that, and and admirable is that you don't take yourself too seriously. And I think that like life, life can be really short. It can be cut short. Yeah. It can also be really, really, or feel really, really long. Yeah. And so I think that the act of not taking yourself too seriously has allowed you to accomplish a lot of really serious things and that oh, that's an asset. There's no, there's no question about it. Be, you know, having fun, <laughs> how, how can having fun not be part of your success? Uh, having, and I've, I, at the same time, uh, you know, um, if you're not kicking ass, not getting ahead, it's harder to have fun, Yeah, you know, make no mistake about it. Like, like I'm a driven person. I want to kick as much ass as the next person, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sacrifice, uh, my training or I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not such a serious person that I think, uh, everything's going to be diminished or, or interfered with. If I have a couple laughs before I go do a lift now, obviously before I load up the bar with 600 pounds, I'm not going to be like, uh, the, <laughs> I'm not going to be like the uh, source of entertainment for everybody for those, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds before I go and do my lift. As soon as it's done though, you break back to your normal self, having a good time, um, I just have learned, you know, over a period of time that it's not a, it's not a great thing to, to be so self-indulged in what you're doing. It can really, as I mentioned earlier, it can be maddening when you're trying to chase after certain numbers and certain things. It can, it can really uh, make or break you. And so I'd rather do it. If I can't have fun and chase at the same time, I'd rather fall a little bit short and have fun along the way. What uh, $100 or less purchase has most positively impacted your life recently? Oh, man, positively impacted. I was going to say, initially, I was going to say a pair of Groucho Marx glasses that I bought in Japan. Wait, well, and I got a, a lot of legs out of those. <laughs> Groucho Marx glasses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they were about, uh, should I, can't remember, I can't remember how much they cost, but they were like, in US dollars, they were like two bucks. But uh, for some reason, everybody wanted to take a picture of me with them. They, they all they instantly made me famous somehow. I don't know how that happened, but there's like hundreds of people in Japan. Yeah, they're yeah in Japan. Well, that makes sense. You're yeah. a fucking mountain of a human being <laughs> wearing Groucho Marx glasses. Oh my god, yeah, we're like a, the most Japanese comic book thing I've ever. I was heard also in wearing a purple jacket, a Ribera <laughs> Steakhouse purple jacket, uh, satin, nonetheless, <laughs> to make matters even better. Um, but let's see, a uh, hundred dollar purchase that is. Um, that has done what exactly? Just positively impacted your life. It could be any purchase, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking for something that's not like, well, my new Escalade, because yeah, yeah. people aren't just going to run out and buy a yeah, thousand yeah. Escalades. I don't know. Maybe they would. You know what? The wifey does so many of the purchases around the house that... Uh... Okay, I can rephrase it. Yeah. What is a piece of gear <laughs> that 
that you're extremely happy with that people might not be familiar with. You showed me one, the Triad. Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. That, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I saw another weird device, which looked like some modified type of pull-down grip uh, for lat pull-downs. I wish I could remember the name of that thing. That, yeah. thing is, that thing's pretty... We will take video of that. So that we'll thing's that. pretty badass. Um, in terms of uh, the lifting equipment in the gym, man, I, I really like we have, uh, you know, we have... Well, the everything in there is so expensive, so it's you know there's nothing Expensive's in there. Okay, expensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's what's called the Duffalo Bar, which is by a friend of mine, Chris Duffin. Uh, basically, it's a a, a a kind of a a spin on the the Buffalo Bar, which is a bar that is uh, specifically bent a certain way, so it's less stress on your elbows and shoulders when you go to squat. I like that piece a lot. And then we have something in the gym that I'll introduce you to that you'll really like. It's also by Chris Duffin. It's called the Geisha. And this thing is, uh, I believe that's how you say it. It's a yeah. hundred and it's 120 pounds of cement, uh, that is in the shape of a foam roller and you just roll it on your back and roll it on your legs. Ah, it feels terrible and magnificent. I, think at the same I have seen a number of products from him. So he also makes, there's like the widow or the, the widow maker or whatever, all these different, yeah. they're like weighted cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie Thompson, uh, makes some of this stuff as well. They, they, I think they make some stuff in conjunction. Uh, and one, one of the things he makes is called the ex-wife and it's like 150 That's pounds or something one. like that. <laughs> pretty and the, and the triad's pretty cool as well. Uh, which is basically thick bar, uh, or you could use it for thick bar training, but it has three different yeah. grips on right. each Let's just call it, well, try it. 20 pounds, 40 pounds, 60 pounds. My friend, my friend who makes those is a huge fan of yours. So he's, if he listens to this, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to, his heart's just going to stop. Oh, well, I, I was going to ask you if I could buy uh, a few of them actually. So yeah, the name of the company's Havoc. If we can plug it, he'll Havoc, he'll yeah. Die. Fantastic. Yeah. So check it out, folks. If you could have one billboard anywhere with anything on it that is not an advertisement, <laughs> if you could just put like a phrase or, anything on it what would you what would you put up there i like the quote you know the quote that uh, some of the quotes we have in the gym but one of my favorite quotes of all time is either you're in or you're in the way and uh there's a little little backstory on that i won't go too long into it but uh a friend of mine um i was uh i was single at the time and i was dating a, a few girls and uh was trying to find the right one was trying to find mrs bell <laughs> and uh you know, I, I went on a few dates with my now wife, Andy, and my friend at the time, uh, this little Italian guy, very fiery, very excited, Danny DeVito-like sort of guy, but then also super jacked and super ripped and built and talked 100 miles an hour, chain smoked like a motherfucker, but looked like a pro bodybuilder at the same time. It was a weird combination of shit going on. His uh, his name was, uh, his name was, his his nickname was Vinny Goombats. <laughs> He was so abrasive, and when he was talking to you, he always looked like he was like getting into a fight with you, but he's just telling you a story, but he's always moving his hands around so much, and he was so energetic and loud and stuff. He he used to stay at our house a lot. My brother just let him stay at the house for a while. He was kind of down and out for a period of time, and uh, my wife ended up seeing him out somewhere, and then they spent like a few hours together. They hung out at the beach together and stuff like that while he's smoking and cursing up a storm at the beach. My wife thought he and I were really good friends. It was just more of an acquaintance than anything else. So my wife was trying to uh, just spend time with him and, and, and to, to get on my good side, basically. And so Vinny comes home and uh, he tells me, he's like, hey, I, I saw Andy, you know, and we were hanging out. She's super sweet. She's a nice girl, blah, blah, blah. He's going on and on. 
And uh, he's like, you know, he's like, you're a fucking idiot. I don't know why, you know, you're with this girl, you're with that girl, and you're complaining. And he's like, he goes, I got a saying, either you're in or you're in the fucking way. He's like, and Andy, she's in. And so that speech right there led to uh, Andy and I being married for uh, 15 plus years now and having two children. So wow. <laughs> <laughs> either you're in or you're in the way. I love it. Well, Mark, I tell you what, we could uh, we could talk and talk and talk, and maybe we'll do a round two sometime. But I want to let you get back to training. We're going to film some stuff that people can see in the show notes. So we'll some, grab some video and probably uh, also find some of your your tirades, your professional wrestling challenge videos uh, to put in the show notes. But uh, where can people find you? What would you like them to check out? How can they reach you or learn more about you on the interwebs, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, so Instagram, it's at Mark Smelly Bell on Instagram and Twitter. I have a website called howmuchyoubench.net, which has all my products, which is they're all supportive gear to help you lift more weight, to help you lift more weight more safely. And then also you're going to want to check out my YouTube channel, uh, which has tons and tons of great information on training. It's youtube.com backslash supertraining06. All right. Well, there we have it. Any parting comments, suggestions, things you would like listeners of the podcast to consider? Just multiply your muscle and multiply your hustle. <laughs> All right, Mark. Thanks so much. I really right, appreciate it. Thank time. you. Appreciate it. And everybody listening, fun. as always, you can find uh, links to everything we discussed and more resources, etc., in the show notes uh, for this episode and every other episode at 4hourworkweek.com forward slash podcast. And as always, until next time, thanks for I'm listening. available for more of these. If you need me, I can take over a little bit when you're not around. Anything you need, buddy. Substitute host, <laughs> Mark Bell. Thanks, Later. guys. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and just drop in your email, and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by LegalZoom. I have used LegalZoom myself for many of my businesses, and many of the icons on this podcast have actually used LegalZoom. For instance, Matt Mullenweg of WordPress fame, CEO of Automatic, which is now worth more than a billion dollars, first incorporated his company on LegalZoom. LegalZoom is a reliable resource that more than a million people have already trusted to help with their businesses. Whether that's setting up a will, doing a proper trademark search, forming an LLC, setting up a nonprofit, or finding simple cease and desist letter templates. Man, do I use a lot of those. Uh, LegalZoom is not a law firm, but they do have a network of independent attorneys available in most states. They can give you advice on the best way to get started, provide contract reviews, and otherwise help you run your business. And important, there are no surprises. LegalZoom provides complete transparency. That means upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. Check out LegalZoom.com today to see how they can make life 
better and easier for you and your business. If you're pretending to be a lawyer on the internet, then you are asking for trouble. Put together the safety nets, get your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Enter promo code TIM, T-I-M, at LegalZoom.com to save 15%. That's T-I-M for 15% off. Check it out, LegalZoom.com. This episode is brought to you by 99designs. I've used 99designs for years for all sorts of graphic design needs. Whether you need a logo, website, book cover, or anything else, 99designs was created to make great designs accessible to everyone and to make the process of getting designs much, much easier. So when I first started out, for instance, testing prototype covers and getting prototype covers for the four-hour body, I went the contest route. That is one option. This is a great solution if you're looking for fast, affordable design work and the ability to choose from dozens of options risk-free. Let's say you need something late night, quick turnaround. Well, people in other time zones, other countries can also help you solve that problem. Since then, I've worked with 99designs on a separate path or a different option and uh, that is the one-to-one project service. So, in a number of cases, and I'll give you one example, when I wanted to create the cover for my audiobook, The Tao of Seneca, this was a very important project to me, I decided to use their one-to-one project service. And with this service, you can invite a specific designer to your project, agree on a price, and then work together until you're satisfied. And they allow you to iterate and provide feedback and all this stuff. And I haven't shared it yet, but we also got some incredibly good, really some of the best illustrations I've ever seen from using this one-to-one project service with a handful of different designers and illustrators. It blew my mind. 99designs makes this all very easy and efficient. So you can check out the Tao of Seneca design and other work that I and your fellow listeners, for that matter, have done on 99designs at 99designs.com forward slash Tim. And right now, you can get a free $99 upgrade on your first design. Again, that's 99designs.com forward slash Tim.